0: Sean, the property tax accountant, welcome back to the Property Nomads podcast. Uh, for those of you that are listening to it already, go and check out episode 232. Uh, that is the six top tax tips. Uh, Sean goes in depth on, on a number of different things to do with um, well, tax, basically. So well worth a listen to. Uh, for those that have already listened to that, uh, Sean, the property tax accountant, is back. Uh, Today's a lot more conversational we are going to be uh, chatting about the uh, eight tips for remote property investing as mentioned last time sean splits his time between uh, a multitude of locations now for those of you that know myself uh, with partner being mexican in due course i will be splitting my time uh, around the world as well but that doesn't mean that you're not able to do property investing Absolutely not. Uh, we're here to dispel a few things in this episode, so it's going to be a little more, a lot more conversational. Uh, all of that being said, uh, Sean, welcome back to the Property Nomads Podcast.
1: Thanks, Rob. It's great to be back.
0: Uh, we've been speaking off air and we sort of worked out eight tips and we can both draw on our experiences, which is the whole point of this episode. So, do not go into this with a mindset of, well, if I don't live in my investment area, you know, I can't do property. Absolute nonsense. Uh, B.S. You can. There is always a way in which to get something done. So when we started off, uh, we'll start off with number one. That seems the most logical place to start. Choose the right strategy. How, how is that going to help remote property investing?
1: Well, I mean, that's, yeah, let's get started. So these are obviously all personal opinions now and, and, and really from my own um, experience um, might not be right for everybody else, but, but for number one, for me is, is, is really choose the right strategy for your individual circumstances. So how do you choose the right strategy? So I would be asking myself, um, so how much time can I spend in, in the local area? So where you actually invest in that property um you know are you going to be there for you know, purchases and, and sales um how much time abroad are you going to be um, and to manage day-to-day issues uh, for example so are you just going to be away for a few months then great probably not an issue but if you're away for you know nine ten months of the year obviously it can be very different uh what's taken you abroad um how much time are you going to have available and um, Will you be able to, for example, make the time differences work? Um, so let, let's take the East Coast of the US as an example. The time difference is only five hours. That's probably doable to stay in contact with with people back at home. But if you're in Australia, do you want to be getting up in the middle of the night on a regular basis to be able to speak to all of your key contacts in the UK? I, I suspect the answer is probably No um and and then another one is is it's you know in terms of yourself, are you willing and able to be able to hand over the reins to others? Do you have that trust um in those people to be able to do that and and do you have the budget to support it so that that would be what I would be asking myself before I even thought about property strategies um I- entirely what are your thoughts on that Rob
0: I completely agree, and then this is the uh, sort of the premise of this of this list isn't it is we agree on all of it. So I will be saying I agree quite a lot. In, in terms of choosing the right property strategy, yes, it's paramount. What are you getting into property for? Is it to have the cash flow? Is it to see your property prices increase? Obviously inflation is gonna help do that anyway over a long, long period of time, but for myself, and my partner's mexican uh, i like mexico uh, she quite likes the uk so uh, you know so i don't want to stay here for the rest of my life i want to be sort of moving around time difference is very important uh, for for example uh, you know the, the yucatan i think it's 6 hours most of the time so again manageable not an issue if i've got to get up a little bit earlier cuz you're then catching people at about lunchtime or just after But for us, uh, Aaron and myself, when we cracked on with property, it was, we wanted to create that lifestyle. Not, you know, we're, we're, I say, we're, we're, we're traveling people, you know, we're not after the opulence as such, you know, to have the time to be able to do things is important, to have the choice to be able to do something is very important. So for us, it's, you know, going on these sort of wacky adventures and, uh, attending sporting events, you know, we'll probably end up at the World Cup uh, in Qatar uh, at the end of the year. Maybe the uh, Rugby World Cup in France. Although admittedly, that's not too far to go. You know, 2023. Uh, maybe go and watch some Test cricket in, in the West Indies. All, all random bits and pieces like that. So for us, it was about cash flow. Can can we get the cash flow? Uh, are we happy to put time in to get the systems and whatnot set up properly? And then if we've got the right people in place, et cetera, which you know we'll touch upon in, in later tips, now that, that's what it is for us. So yeah, you know, the right strategy is is fundamental.
1: Absolutely, yeah, completely completely agree. So if I then think out think about just certain strategies, certainly not all. I mean, if I think about buy to let, you know, if you can get high quality, long-term tenants in. For me, that's the best. That that it really is. If I then think, you know, to some more complex strategies, if you will, is is things like HMOs. Yeah, I I wouldn't touch this personally, but others certainly would. And obviously, a lot of people go into HMOs because of the uh, the higher returns, uh, generally speaking. Uh, But often those returns are because those investors are actually then managing those properties themselves and hmos you know just by their very nature are very labor intensive so if you're then fully outsourcing that management service because you're simply not in the country then that's going to erode those those great margins and and make may make it more trouble than it's worth and perhaps lower returns than say just a standard buy to let Um, but you know each individual circumstances are different Yes. Similarly, if we think about serviced accommodation and Airbnbs, um, you know, again, lots of people do that. It, it may well work. It can be a completely hands-off investment if you've got a great management company. Um, if if you've got, you know, they're perhaps managing the cleaning team as as well, uh, and it's you know it could be very very profitable, particularly if you've got you know, great occupancy rates, uh, for example. But again, a lot of people perhaps may get into this, you know, through rent to serviced accommodation. And the chances are they're probably going to be doing a lot of that work um, and looking after those properties themselves so you know clearly that's not going to work if you if you're abroad a lot unless perhaps um let's say you're managing a property or properties that are very busy in the uk in the summer but then you can get away in the winter perhaps when those properties you know are are effectively vacant so you know there's certainly plenty of options there and then if i think about or then even moving on to to flips is i mean for me this would be the most challenging i mean i I know that there's various people that do flips from 200 miles away and you know they've got a great team and can periodically you know they're normally in the south and they can pop up north to to check on properties and you might do video calls to check on the status of work and assessing the quality and things like that but again, if, if you're out of the country for a significant portion of the time, then it, it's definitely going to be challenging. But it's, it's doable. I mean, you could get into a lovely situation whereby perhaps you spend the summer in the UK doing flips and then you disappear for those, those cold, miserable winter months, maybe.
0: Too true. And just to highlight you, what you said at the start of the episode, which is paramount, these are based on you know, our opinions. Nothing is impossible. Uh, uh, you know, absolutely nothing is impossible here. Where there's a will, there's a way. But we'll go back to the main point, you know, choose the right strategy. So what are, you, what are you in it for? What's your lifestyle design? What are you thinking? Uh, and work from there. You mentioned on it briefly this so moving on to point number two, use the budget. Uh, from your experiences, why is that an important tip for remote property investing?
1: I would say because... The expenses are likely to be higher and, and and there there's several reasons for this you know the most obvious one is the fact that you're going to be outsourcing certain services, so whether you're uh-huh. using a fully outsourced letting agent um, or um you know there's work that you could perhaps. You know, do yourself, particularly if you're pretty handy around the, you know, the place, you know, repairs and maintenance. You're not going to have to pay tradespeople for, and um, particularly if you are, you know, a tradesperson by trade anyway. Then, then there's some, you know, less obvious things. So, if you're out of the country for a significant portion of the year, you may become non-resident for tax purposes. If you're then non-resident for tax purposes, well, guess what. The government have, have fairly recently introduced a further surcharge on stamp duty. So not only are you going to be paying the, the 3% for additional properties, for second properties and more, but then there's an additional 2% for non-residents, which, uh, you know, suddenly start, you know, those, those stamp duty bills suddenly start mounting up. Um, I I mean, I'll pause there just in case you wanted to make a comment, but I do have another one tax related, which is quite comical actually, but but let's not move on too fast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll definitely touch on that. I was just thinking, um, so just just for personal circumstance. So hypothetically, uh, let's just say I go and stay for two years in Mexico, but hypothetically, but my business partner, is UK resident, that's not going to change businesses based in the UK. Would that surcharge still apply if one of the directors was a non domiciled
1: quite, quite possibly. Um, right. I, I would need to look into the exact rules for that. But what, what, what uh, the, the revenue does do is effectively looks through those companies and looks right. to the ultimate beneficial owners. I, I suspect if, if you were a non-tax resident, that you may well be. So it's you know it's no different to say, I don't know, let's say a husband and wife team that buys a second property. One of them may never have owned properties before, but the other one has done, and, and that would trigger the 3%. So it probably would, but don't help me to that.
0: Fair play. Uh, and in terms of uh, using the budget, as I've written about in, in various books, and Aaron will say the same thing as well, what we like to do is put 10% of the gross rental income uh, per property or for the whole portfolio, which both the same. Uh, We'll normally put that into a a savings account or what we call our mo account, uh, monthly operating expenses Mm -hmm. account. That way, if something pops up, as it inevitably will do in property, that way you're not uh, you're not fretting about it. You're not trying to run around trying to scramble some cash together. You've got it in your account. You've already budgeted for it. You've allocated those funds, rainy day funds, call it what you will. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, this this story you were talking about, um, Sean, <laughs> this antidote.
1: Yeah, so I've probably built it up too much now. So so non-tax residents this is an interesting one. So if you are um, renting out a property and you're a non-tax resident, you have to file form NRL1 with HMRC. And so that, that says to HMRC is, hey, I'm abroad, but I'm renting out a, a property. I'm I'm in a receipt of rental income. You need to do that for every property. Um, and if you don't file that form, then what it means is, is that um, whoever whoever you're receiving the rent from has to withhold 20% of that rent so that works really i can i can see your face already i know where your mind's going now is that works fine if, if say for example you're using a letting agent that's collecting the rent on your behalf and so you know the the tenant would pay the letting agent 1000 pounds and then the letting agent would 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 then withhold 200 pounds 20% as tax and then pay that on to HMRC, so you'd receive the balance. Now, the question then becomes is, well, what if you're not using a letting agent and you're just receiving the rent directly from your tenant? Well, the way in which the rules are put together is is that the tenant would have to withhold that 20% and then pay that across to HMRC each month. I've never ever come across that and, and, and I'm yet to hear of that actually working in, in practice. I can't imagine any tenant moving into a property saying, oh, right, well, you, so you haven't given me an NRL, NRL one, therefore I'm going to withhold some of the rent and, and, and pay that to HMRC.
0: If, if anyone's listening and that's ever, ever happened to you, let us know because that is priceless <laughs> if, if that's the case. Talking of uh, Mo accounts and putting a reserve aside, that moves us on quite nicely to point number three dealing with funding challenges. Now, are we looking at this from um, a mortgage point of view, or did you have something else in mind when you thought of this particular tip?
1: Yeah, uh, very very much uh, a mortgage. So, again, I'm putting my non-resident tax, uh, sorry, non-tax resident um, hat on here. So, if you become non-resident, then you're effectively treated as an expatriate, an expat, and lenders typically will will see those individuals as higher risk. So, the reason for that is is that they recognise that it's going to be much more difficult to pursue those individuals if the debt goes unpaid. They're also very, very worried about money laundering. So, particularly for those, maybe the the, the smaller lenders or or those with you know very automated systems. You know, it's going to be one of those computers says no moments you know you, the, the mortgage lender is, is that there won't there'll be fewer lenders in the market it's simple as that and then because it then means that those lenders that remain in the market they have to jump through many more hoops so for example oh. they may um you know they're, they're going to have to somehow validate your um your income for example Um, If you work for a global company, then that's easier because they can go down to the the local office and and correspond that way. Um, But if you're working for a local company in Singapore, wherever it might be, Mexico in your case, can be a lot more difficult. But the fact that they're having to jump through so many more hoops, they're going to want to be compensated for that extra time and energy. So again, higher rates. So fewer mortgages, less competitive because the market's smaller. Uh, and, and therefore um, high rates as well because of the risk. So again, that's that's something to work through. What's my tip here? And i said this on the prior episode, speak to your t- team of trusted advisors, speak to your mortgage lender straight away. You're thinking about going abroad or if you're thinking about spending more time abroad, talk to the broker.
0: Yeah, and then this is something I've started doing because uh, again, it comes down to what you echoed in the prior episode and, and here already is, you know, one, number one, being honest, uh, but number two, planning ahead, and it is, re- it is one of those very practical things. You know, we've had, not to dive into it uh, too much, but a lot of uh, practical, useful advice has come back from initial conversations about how to potentially, and, per- and perfectly legally, I will point out, uh, be out of the country for quite a significant amount of time, but also then have the necessary things in place uh in order to possibly offset that now those things are changing all the time so i'm not going to sort of sit here and dive into that uh, maybe when it happens i'll do an episode but that's maybe a few years down the line but there are certain things you can do um that mean that you're out of the country for a period of time and you're still treated as a, a uk tax resident but you know by the by dealing with funding challenges yeah very poignant Again, not impossible to get funding if you're, I don't know, for example, a South African and you're looking to invest in the UK. Entirely plausible, but as you've quite rightly said, there might be a few challenges here, but also go back to point number two, factor it into your budget as well. Uh, n- number four, the importance of surveys and snagging. I think snagging is, well, pretty much like ron seal does exactly what it says in the tin you must have a look at your snagging if if some work's been done get get a little thing sorted asap but in terms of surveys why in your opinion is getting the various surveys important if you're looking to invest remotely
1: so for me these are worth their weight in gold so if if i'm purchasing a property from abroad you know it might be the case that i've only looked at it on right move so i'm not visited it myself i'm an accountant not a um you know a construction engineer or anything like that uh, even if i did look at it myself um i might have had friends or family members view the property but again you know are they going to catch everything so a survey for me is worth its weight in gold you know you're probably looking at know probably around about a grand for a three bed detached house perhaps um where the survey surveyor might spend several hours inspecting the property from top to bottom i'm talking about here is is the full comprehensive building survey rather than just the drive-by ones for for mortgage valuations um i would be recommending one of these surveys even if you're a cash buyer um you know where where you're not required to have a survey at all and um, for me, you know, I, I get the a really detailed survey report back with lots of photographs and des- descriptions of all the potential risks and where, you know, the house might be wearing out. So what that allows me to do is n- number one, it allows me to determine whether I'm even going to buy that property or not. I've had an offer accepted, but it's always subject to survey. So If something is significant, that's identified, I can either pull out of the sale um or renegotiate or the price because work needs to be done, or ask the seller to do to do the work before completion. Um the the other one um as well, it allows me to plan and again and budget. We've talked about budgets, it allows me to plan and budget for the next five to ten years. So yeah, the the, the roof is fine for now, but we can see that it's gonna need to be replaced or whatever it might be. That allows me to do that and gives me that sense of of security
0: makes perfect sense and again it's worth its weight in gold it's well worth the investment especially if you haven't got uh people on the ground straight away or, or not people that you can necessarily sort of trust and rely on straight away if you're looking to get started i would say from experience that also being uh, a qualified uh, domestic energy assessor i.e i do epcs Uh, that's always a good way to get be a bit nosy I'm not saying that I'm by far you know a building guru definitely not but certainly the knowledge I've picked up from that you know I can certainly apply if I'm if I'm having a browse uh, around a home as well you know what's what's the build type is it solid brick is it cavity how can you distinguish the difference is it timber frame you know system build yeah all of that sort of stuff Definitely get your surveys. Uh, it could save you a hell of a lot of cash, especially if something pops up like uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Is it
1: subsidence? I get confused yep. between subsidence and subsistence. It's subsidence, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. The, the other yeah. one yeah. <laughs> relates to uh, yeah your your daily newspaper and and food.
0: <laughs> ah, yeah, tally ho. So yeah, that is me getting mm-hmm. a bit confused. So yes, definitely, if you have the uh, ability and the option to get a survey again, treat it as an investment, uh, it's well worth its, its weight in gold. Talking of things that are well worth their weight in gold, number five, appoint a great lettings agent.
1: Oh, for me, this is absolutely key. So I mean, for me, I'm a, a very hands-off investor, so I, I go down the fully managed route as opposed to let only. and finding a good letting agent is one, well, number one, it's difficult, but when you find a good okay. one, you know, uh, work, you know, work with them, um, because they can help, um, enormously. So the, the advice that I was originally uh, given you know, back in the day was go with an estate agent that, um, is also go with an agent that does lettings only, so, you know, Theoretically, a bit like, you know, we talked about in the prior episode about, you know, use a property tax accountant as opposed to a generalist accountant. But, you know, the letting agent is, yeah, well, that's what their main job is. If, if they're doing uh, sales also, then they're not necessarily going to be focused on your property that you're letting as much as perhaps they could because perhaps the margins are lower for them, particularly when property markets are booming as they are at the moment. Um, Ultimately, I went with a, a family friend's first-hand recommendation that said, Hey, the, these guys are great. You know, give them a call. I, I spoke to many, but ultimately I found this one. And then once the letting agent you know, got to know how I, I and, and my wife work uh, together, we understood how they work. The service has just been phenomenal since, since day one. I cannot emphasize that, that enough.
0: And we were given the same advice as well when we started when you're looking for a lettings agent, if you want to be hands off like we like to be as well, it's yeah, the same advice. go with one that just specializes in lettings and and not sales. and we've gone through a period where we trialed a few and you know we've now got a more concentrated amount of letting stages. the reason for that is we've got three different places where we've got properties uh, South Yorkshire Hull sorry I'll, makes it sound like I think Hulls in South Yorkshire my geography is better than that so <laughs> South Yorkshire then Hull uh, also Burnley as well and especially for the, the one in South Yorkshire and Burnley uh, when we were uh, buying etc etc one of the first questions we asked is which recommendation would you give for a lettings agent? And you know, those properties are like clockwork. They're absolutely fantastic. There's nothing wrong if you want to uh, self-manage your portfolio, nothing wrong with that. However, that detracts away from the episode itself. You know, eight tips for remote property investing. So Sean, totally with you. You know, number five there, appoint a great lettings agent. Moving on to number six, uh, have a trusted person on the ground. In what way do you mean have a trusted person on the ground? What sort of, what sort of a jobs are you looking for this person to do? And, and who should that trusted person be?
1: Um, yes. So, well, it, it could be a good friend. It could be a family member. Um, ideally, you know, they, they would have a few property related skills, but I don't think that's essential particularly if you have a good letting agent, um, you, you can't put, in my case, so I feel that I can't put everything in the hands of the letting agent. There's still times when I need additional assistance. And I particularly need oh. that additional assistance when I'm abroad, but uh, purchasing or selling a property. So for, for example, um, I use my in-laws, uh, which, which are great because we, we invest in their local area. And so um, what they will do, if, we, if you know, my wife and I spot a house that we might like to invest in, they can go off and do a, a, a viewing, you know, discount certain properties for us, maybe take some videos, those types of things. Um, but then when it comes to the exchange of contracts, and, and this, is, this is the tip really, is, is, is we have set um, them up as our powers of attorney. So they can now sign contracts on our behalf. Now, um, it also means that they can access our bank accounts and all sorts if they so wish. So <laughs> trust is is the key word here. We know that they're, they're not going to do anything on, on our behalf. They're not going to instruct a sale or anything like that, empty our bank accounts. But, but to have somebody on hand that can do that wet signature is, is brilliant. I'm not quite sure why the legal profession hasn't quite moved to digital or electronic signatures yet, um, as many accounting firms have. But you know th- this helps um, enormously at the time of exchange and then finally um at, at completion they can also be around to do the the key handover now again your letting agent can do that for you um, but you know you do get that warm and fuzzy feeling knowing that you've got a copy of of the keys as as well and that it's all been done uh,
0: On to number seven then, uh, making the most of technology now we've seen a lot of technological advances uh certainly in our lifetimes i mean here we're going to be looking at things know, for example skype zoom uh you yeah, know things like whatsapp your social medias and, and whatnot it's a lot easier now to you know well even to be able to just send you know a video uh, to one another one of those via those many channels i think that's the point of having this point, that just because you're physically not in said area, it doesn't mean you're not able to see what's going on.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, so uh, I, you, this is the uh, probably the one thing that I'm actually thankful for um, uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, which sounds uh, slightly perverse to say, but... know the likes of things like video technology and whatnot have have really come on leaps and bounds over the last two years i mean the last decade has been absolutely wonderful for connectivity and and technology um particularly with the likes of fintech and and all of those things but you know there's there's this um, technology that you use as an individual and then there's technologies that you use then to collaborate with others and so I think, you know, for the technology that we'll, when collaborating with others, we'll, we'll come onto when, um, considering the next tip, but if we're just, this tip is really just focused on, um, technology that you use yourself. And for this one, I recommend using a, a, a proper, um, app that is, or accounting software that is very much designed for property investors so the the one that i like to use um as a landlord is is hammock use hammock.com and uh it's it's a wonderful app Um it really really is it, it does multiple things uh, the, the tagline that they use is um designed by landlords for landlords and so it, it does both financial um um financial management systems, but also general management systems. So just talking about the general ones, if, if you are self-managing, it will provide you with reminders for lease renewals, for gas and, uh-huh. gas and electric safety inspections. It's a place to store your leases. It's a case to store all of your certificates rather than just in, in random folders on your Google or OneDrive um, account. So it's great from that perspective, but then the financial perspective, is is also wonderful because it connects directly to your bank using um using open banking um it can read only access so I would add as well it can't suddenly create payments or anything like that um, huh. um it can track the profitability of each individual uh, property and um, so all you do is 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 when those transactions start coming through you can assign them to each property it then learns using ai it then learns uh, what types of expenses apply to which properties or which category of expenses, uh, and so yeah, you can see which property is doing better than the others. That might, you know, result in you either I don't know, increasing rent or or selling a property perhaps. And then um, the other one is is because it's tracking uh, rental payments and, and various other payments, it will actually flag um, to the user if either a rent payment is late or has not been received. So I said I said on the last episode is is you know if if you're I've seen real cases here where clients would say 10, 20 properties, it's difficult to manage. That's um, a lot of transactions, a lot of data, and Hammer have actually said, oh by the way, do you realise that, that the June rent for property uh, you know number five on the High Street, um, it, it didn't pay it missed a rent's payment. And you know, that could have just been through user error on, on both sides in the case of a tenant, but it then allowed the landlord to go and chase that payment and then receive it. They wouldn't have have ever chased it if it wasn't for that reminder. So it, it is doing that matching. It's it's wonderful. And then, you know, you could take that a step further and then get a proper accounting system as well. It does many of those things um from the finance perspective as well, such as you know, the likes of QuickBooks Online.
0: I, I would I agree and i would also say that for people thinking well you know i'm not really too good with technology or i don't want to use that app or anything like that uh for um aaron and myself actually we i say we're a bit old school uh we use zero and, and excel and we find that through trial and error of, of different apps and the way that you know we like to take care of things uh i think what aaron does he'll he will sit down uh once a week for an hour or so go through various bits of banking and whatnot, he'll plot that on a spreadsheet and then our admin man can take care of the rest of that on a couple of other spreadsheets. That's what we found works for us. Of course, you know, many people, you know, the idea of a spreadsheet would give them a headache or possibly a mm-hmm. migraine and they'd rather using that. But even you know Excel, you know, that's something that wasn't around 30, 40, 50 years ago. So it is using technology to its potential. Well, go on to the last one uh, then, Sean, uh, which, again, is key. You touched on it on on the previous episode there, something we agree with definitely, and it's imperative. Selecting the right advisors. So basically your power team, making sure you're selecting the best possible power team, that they understand your requirements and what you expect, but also what you expect of them. So in effect, it's a two-way street. Do you get on? Are they best suited for you? are you best suited for them anything else to add on that
1: yeah absolutely i mean i think when considering advisors i think this boils down to technology trust and an attitude um, that those advisors and parties can provide to you so if i think about technology we've just touched on that and you've mentioned things like zoom and teams facetime whatsapp whatever it might be I have found, as a result of the, the pandemic, not only has that technology improved, but also clients actually prefer to use that technology now. In many cases, rather than meeting in person. Don't get me wrong; it's great to meet in person, but we are all busy. And you know, typically with property investors, this isn't the sole and single thing that they do. They've, they've typically got a nine to five as, as well that they're, you know, trying to escape from it in many ways. So. The last thing they want is to be stuck in traffic, um, <laughs> you know, rot, rot, and to meet somebody in person when you could have that fifteen-minute video call instead to discuss, you know, specific matter. And then, um, I mean, we've talked about Hamburg and, and also the likes of QuickBooks Online, which is the cloud accounting system. And again, th- these are just just great. I won't won't labour the point, but because everything is digital, there's no. You know, need to be you know using snail mail or meeting in person to be able to hand over boxes or have you know, receipts uh-huh. and bank statements. Uh-huh. All of those things is painful. You can snap uh, pictures of your receipts on your phone, and it will just upload it straight up to the accounting system. It it's just makes life so much easier. And then moving on again, we touched on this earlier. Is this, the accounting industry has moved on to. Digital and electronics signatures, so you can get you know important letters or contracts signed within seconds. Again, no snail mail. And then you know the requirements for this sort of technology are 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 increasing as well. So we have make and touch digital that that's coming down the line in in a couple of years time. And so all landlords that have income over ten grand are going to have to start using some form of. digital um system as well. So the likes of QuickBooks Online is already and Hammock is is already set up for these things. Um, clients also want port, uh, like online portals to be able to, you know, see their own documents, their accounts, the tax returns. um and again, you know, the types of things that that I use. But but just to conclude on the technology point here is 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 what we're seeing is is this um shift certainly within the accounting industry um is is that those accountants or accounting firms that are perhaps coming up to retirement they're seeing the likes of making tax digital and saying you know what i prefer snail mail i prefer you know printing things out i prefer excel whatever it might be i'm not going to change all my systems because i'm retiring three years time or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. i'm calling it a day now and that's happening at the same time as clients are also changing their demands. So I, th- I find this topic of technology you know, fascinating. I really, really do.
0: That's probably something we should uh, touch, touch upon in, in, in again, a, a future episode in terms of uh, digitalising property. I think that will resonate with a lot of people. But just to summarise this particular episode, so eight tips for remote property investing. Number one, choose the right strategy. So again uh you know lifestyle design are you going to be flipping service accommodation buy to let you know how does that work what do you need from that number two use a budget which ties in with number three dealing with funding challenges so again if you're an expat uh, you're invested from abroad you might need to uh, account for uh, an increase in cost uh, for example number four the importance of surveys and snagging Important to get surveys done because it could highlight something that you might not be aware of uh, when you're purchasing a property, especially if you're not on the doorstep of said property. Number five, uh, arguably the most important one if you're not uh, managing property yourself, appoint a great lettings agent. Again, the advice there is ideally use a lettings agent that specializes in lettings only, not one that does sales as well and I found normally the smaller the lettings agent the better actually because there's more the more tentative number six I have a trusted person on the ground so Sean as you've quite rightly said you've got uh, your in-laws on the ground that have power of attorney to be able to sign title deeds bits and pieces like that also someone that might be able to do uh, you know drive-by inspections someone that yeah an extra set of hands as and when you need them Number seven, make use of technology. So in our, in our case, Excel, Zero, etc. 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 But also with Hammock, QuickBooks, digitalizing your business, very important nowadays. And finally, you know, select select the right advisors, take time to speak to people, your power teams imperative um, at the end of the day. I think There's some great information there very practical as well you don't have to invest on your doorstep you can invest miles and miles up the road or as you do Sean you can invest when you're not even in the country if you're out and about on your travels likewise with myself and Aaron as well you know we could be out on our travels and the business is still working in the background. Anything? Any other business before we uh, shut the episode down? Any other uh, key tips uh, that you think people need to know?
1: I think it's all about trust. Uh, you know, if, if and, and your power team, I really, really do. Uh, if they're responsive, you know, they know how you work. You tell them how you want to work, and if they can, you're in a brilliant position
0: fantastic stuff and for those people that want to connect with Sean the links are in the show notes go back to episode 232 as well as six top tax tips Uh, Sean again a massive thank you for your time and uh, yeah look forward to um, more episodes in the future
1: an absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me